Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, your host and author, Caroline Foran. I hope that by now you have heard me loud and clear and joined me over on at Owning It Podcast on Instagram, where I'm sharing lots more tips and clips and asking for your input and questions that I will try to answer in episodes. This week, we're talking about social anxiety, which I think is probably the most commonly widely experienced form of anxiety. According to my Instagram followers, I got such a response when I asked about it. Joining me to unpack this subject is Dr. Katie Fracalanza. She's a clinical assistant professor and attending psychologist at the Department of Psychiatry and behavioral sciences all the way over in Stanford University in their School of Medicine and she joins me as an expert but also as someone who really understands and has her own experience of social anxiety. We try to answer as many questions as possible from my listeners as well as questions that I have around social anxiety and she helps me kind of walk through and unpack some of my recent experiences where I have felt really intensely socially anxious. So this has been a really helpful one for me and I hope it's the same for you. Thank you as always for any of your feedback, shares, like likes, comments, sending it to people who you think might benefit. Every single thing helps me so much to keep this podcast going and growing and I just love creating it. Katie Fracalanza, thank you so much for joining me on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. All the way from, are you in Stanford now? I am at home. I, I work at Stanford, but I'm not there right now, remotely. Yeah, but I'm in California. what a place to be. It's always so amazing to connect with experts in their field. Can you just start, I guess, by filling in the listener on your background, what you do and and how you arrived at this point? Absolutely. Where to start? It's funny, you were talking about Stanford and California. So I felt the the need to mention that I'm Canadian. So I have, yeah, I've been here in California for about five years. I can hear the Canada in you now. (laughs) Yeah. So people can place the accent. But yeah, I came from Canada to do the last bit of my training at Stanford and then ended up staying on there 
as a faculty member specializing in anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. So I have a special passion for uh, helping people with, with various types of anxiety. A lot of my early career was spent doing research on how do we basically optimize the treatment, the therapeutic techniques that we use to help people. Like how do we make those even better and what's really the most important stuff in therapy and um, yeah, transitioning a little bit now to, you know, still doing that research work, but more to training other professionals at Stanford and uh, starting to disseminate what I know to people online because yeah, we know a lot in research, but um, it's getting it into people's hands. That is really important. Well, it's so wonderful to hear you say that because there's just this whole academic world with all this incredible insight and research. And so often there's this massive gap between that and the person like me who's experiencing the anxiety looking for the tools. So when someone like you as an expert crosses that threshold and distills it in a way that people can digest and actually put to action, that's when real change can happen. And that's when a lot of the anxiety people are experiencing will become less so because they feel empowered. So thank you for doing this work. My pleasure. We all really are in this human condition together. And so that um, I think it's really what connects us. Anxiety in particular, it's such a common uh, struggle. So we're going to talk about social anxiety today. It's probably the one type of anxiety that is experienced by I would say everyone to some degree, and it's the minority who don't feel it in some shape or form. Why is social anxiety such an interest for you in particular? Good question. So I totally agree with you around this idea that social anxiety, it's, it's, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't relate. Like we can just think of it as a continuum from zero to a hundred with very, very few people having zero social anxiety. And in fact, sometimes I kind of crack myself up, like, can we imagine zero social anxiety? The person would just be like not caring about anybody. And, you know, there's really um, an upside in some ways to having some social anxiety, like caring about our impact on other people. But yeah, I think social anxiety, as I start to kind of move towards disseminating what we know more, it is the one that is that struggle is nearest and dearest to me because I, that's the struggle that I relate to the most. So I think I want to give people the message that you can really struggle with fear of judgment and social anxiety and still kind of like be afraid and do what you want with your life anyways. So that's very much been my personal story. Is it possible to explain in very simple terms, like what is social anxiety? We can get into the nitty gritty together, but I think um, at the broadest level, the broadest strokes, social anxiety is really just fear of judgment from other people. So it's kind of like fear of rejection or fear of not fitting in or embarrassing oneself, not doing it quite right. And I think of the character of social anxiety, like if I the image that's popping into my mind as you asked is you tripping on the sidewalk and everybody's laughing. So it's kind of like that feeling like I'm going to be exposed as like a screw up or different and uh, other people aren't going to like me. From what I understand, it all goes back to the need that we have for survival and the fear that if we're outed by our tribe or we're cast out or we're discarded, that we become more vulnerable and more open to other threats. Like we don't have the protection of our tribe. Am I right in saying that? A hundred percent. In fact, that is... Um, I think that's such an important piece, right, for us to be kind to ourselves, because without this fear, completely, as we were evolving, if we were rejected by our tribe, we'd be totally screwed. We, we needed our tribe for survival, for protection, for food. And I think that feeling of acceptance, too, is just so fundamental to humans thriving. So the idea of that being threatened 
is terrifying originally for our survival. But then, of course, I think also now as we've evolved, I think it's still important for us to thrive. If we don't feel accepted or liked, we don't we don't feel safe enough to go for what we want or like really fulfill our purpose. So the stakes aren't as high as life or death, but it's still, we're still driven towards it because a lot of the things I find with anxiety are real hangovers from like evolutionary times when our brains are developing and like it was useful to have this fight or flight or panic thing. And then fast forward to today, so much of what we experience is no longer serving us well, but you think social anxiety is still like quite a necessary ingredient for caring about people? Like, why are we still dealing with it? Good question. And yeah, just to kind of go back and highlight what you're saying. Yeah, I think it's an evolutionary vestige for sure. So that's why we're prone to it. Um, and it's interesting. Do I think it it's helpful? I think it really depends. Like, I think a, a certain am- amount of social anxiety or a certain amount of rejection sensitivity is understandable. But what I often see as a clinical psychologist is where it's kind of gone too far and it's no longer helping the person. Um, So we can get into these cycles with social anxiety because often the fears that we start to develop those ideas like people won't like me or I won't be accepted, they don't actually fit the facts. Most people with social anxiety are actually very likable and albeit sometimes out of practice. So we get these ideas in our head and then we start behaving like they're true. Mm -hmm. And then it can inadvertently confirm the idea. How does social anxiety show up for people? What is the most common ways that it manifests? Because some people, when I was asking on Instagram, would assume, and I might've assumed that it would mean you'd be in a corner really shy but a lot of people messaging me saying like, I can't stop talking and I overcompensate and I would seem like the most outgoing person, but actually it's my social anxiety driving that need to never have a gap in any silence or anything like that. Yeah. So lots of different ways it can play out and high, high level. I tend to think of it as it can either lead us to start to underdo things. So, and that's kind of the more classic model or the more obvious behaviors that you're talking about. Like we might avoid parties or avoid talking to people or avoid dating or, you know, cancel dinner at the last minute. So kind of like avoiding situations where we might be judged. But also, I think what you're speaking to is so important too. many people with social anxiety, you would never, ever know. And the behaviors play out more on the overdoing side of things. So trying really, really hard to be liked and accepted, saying yes to everything. Often people who are more socially anxious do amazing in workplaces because they make everybody happy. And yeah, sometimes that idea of I'm responsible for carrying the conversation. So I need to talk or fill, fill the silence or kind of take control or responsibility of this. So I think both sides of that are very common ways that social anxiety plays out either overdoing, underdoing, or some combination of those two. And you would say that people pleasing is like an element of social anxiety? I would. So uh, of course it's a little bit, I mean, once we delve deeper, all of these things have their complexities, but I think at the core of people pleasing is this idea that we're afraid to be judged or disappoint others. So often it's a kind of a manifestation of that fear of disappointment or that fear of judgment. If it's so unlikely, like you said, like the facts are that we probably are in our social group, we probably are liked, you know, no one's thinking that way about us. We're all worrying about ourselves. Why are we defaulting or overcompensating 
to such an extent that we think the worst is going to happen in every social situation. Like, why are we going in to most social situations with so much fear when it's probably not been the case that anyone has been like, get out, we don't like you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in fact, it's funny if that did happen, it might actually help somebody with social anxiety because they'd be like, oh, sweet, I can cope with that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, it happened. The worst happened and I'm okay. Um, yeah, this is the million dollar question. And I'd love to try to explain it with a few different examples. It's like, how is this fear that I'll be judged or I'm not liked? How is it maintained when it's usually not true? Like how on earth does this social anxiety fear keep going? And there's a little cycle. I I almost wish I could draw it, but so we have this idea, right? I'm not going to be liked. And then we start doing these behaviors to prevent the fear. So for example, canceling plans at the last minute or um, trying really, really hard to be liked by others. So saying all the right things and, you know, trying to be what everyone wants us to be. And those behaviors that bring down our anxiety in the short term. So they make us feel safe and like we won't be judged in the short term. So they're understandable. They inadvertently keep social anxiety going because we don't get the chance to learn, oh, if I'm just me and I'm not trying so hard, I'll actually be liked. Or if I just went to the social event, you know, instead of avoiding it, it would have gone totally fine. Mm. So we as humans are so good at digging ourselves into these cycles where we are, you know, we do these short-term things to prevent the fear, Mm -hmm. but then it gets in the way of learning that, you know, we are completely likable or acceptable as we are. For some people, it's social anxiety going into something. Some people it's social anxiety in it some people it's afterwards like why why did I say that and and, and I feel like for me it's all all of the things yep for most of us all the above in your research is it something that we experience that's future oriented or like that we reflect back on oh this is Caroline I'm just like licking my chops I love this question so (laughs) because I think it's so helpful for us to start to think about the different phases of it right like anticipatory anxiety is often pretty bad for people if they if we're not going to use a crutch, right? If we're not going to, if we're going to go in and like be ourselves uncensored and, you know, not leave, stay till the end, like anticipatory anxiety is probably going to be pretty high. And then, yeah, we might be anxious during. And then after that part after is called post-event processing in the research world. And that is that, that idea of, um, you know, we're reviewing, we're mental reviewing the situation. We're going back with a fine tooth comb and like looking for all the mistakes and screw ups and wondering what people thought of us. And looking back with a very skewed perception as well, like not looking at it old hard facts or anything. Totally. Yeah. And actually that's one of the behaviors that we do, or we get in the habit of doing just understandably they're what our mind does to try to keep us safe or feeling in control that post-event processing is actually something we target in treatment because it kind of gives us a sense of control in the short term. Like if I go through and look for all my mistakes, then I'll make all these mental notes to myself of like what to do different or what to say different. It's another version of like censoring people, pleasing, like basically trying harder to be liked. Mm -hmm. And we try to slowly like wean people off of that, basically like slowly reduce the grasp on Like we're trying to just feel anxious, the free fall versus let me hold onto the handrails and like look through the post-event processing and try to control myself more that way. How would the free fall feel or look? What what does that mean? 
if you're going to go in and, and abandon all of the things that usually keep you afloat? I think this has become a bit of a lifestyle for me. And I think for most of us who lean more anxious or have some social anxiety, it becomes like, not like a one and done kind of thing. It's like, it's kind of like having to exercise or something Mm -hmm. where you're constantly having to kind of help yourself stay healthy by like practicing, allowing anxiety. Um, but for me, yeah. And I, I should say, I'm making it sound like, oh, all of the, all of the like short-term behaviors need to be dropped at once, which is actually not, not what I mean. And totally not what I believe. I think like we got to go one, one step at a time and maybe focusing on dropping one of those short-term strategies at a time, repeating, repeating, getting used to that, and then challenging ourselves to go to the next level. But the more we can be like open hands and allowing anxiety and allowing ourselves to not try to control the outcome of who's going to like us and what are people going to think, the more learning we're going to get about kind of what's true and real and how likable we are in our lives. If we know logically that doing these things and like feeling the anxiety and majority of people aren't going to turn around and confirm our fears, why can't logic like win out at this stage? I know, right? Our stupid brain is always going to be afraid of judgment. Yeah. Yeah. We're so hardwired that way. Um, I think, especially, I think each time we go into a situation, right? It's like, we don't know how disappointing that, that one next person is going to feel. And if we can handle it, it's almost like it takes so much repeated experience of trying to um, let go of the safety rails or take the training wheels off to, to start to feel more okay. Mm. Almost like the image in my mind is like a boulder. So if we have this boulder of a belief that let's take people pleasing, for example, like that life is okay and I can handle it as long as I'm like making other people happy. And, you know, then I'm liked. And each time we practice being genuine or not people pleasing, we're like slowly chipping away at that boulder and learning, okay, I can handle it. I handled it that time. And oh, let me do it again. And oh, I handled it that time too. And we're slowly kind of making that belief smaller, but little by little with each little experience. Do you think that there's a link between, I'm just like thinking of this now, as you're describing that people who have social anxiety and are also very, I mean, I would just would die in any kind of confrontational situation like I would I would avoid it like the plague if I had an issue with a friend it's very very hard for me to bring it up even if someone has offended me or hurt me or really wronged me I still won't vocalize it or if I do I couch it in such soft terms because I still want even the person who I'm pissed off at I don't want them not to like me do you think that there's a link there between those two behaviors 100 percent that's a great example Caroline of like oh it's like you're brain hasn't learned yet that you're safe and can deal with it if you approach those kind of like high conflict situations. Mm. So I think, yeah, absolutely. Like social anxiety makes us, and I think also in fairness, right? Like no humans like confrontation. That is like, it's an unpleasant thing. Nobody likes it. But I think people who tend to be more anxious or more socially anxious, we avoid it more. And then we don't get that practice with it. We don't get practice with the language of how to bring something up. We don't get practice knowing we could handle it. Like, I actually loved how you said, because this is how our brain says it to us. Like, I would die if that happened. Mm. The brain is like, there's no way I'm surviving that. When in fact, if we like 
my guess is if you were in that situation, you would actually, you know, it would feel horrible for a small amount of time. And then you'd like record another podcast and be fine. Yeah. I think people's, well, I can only speak for myself when it comes to social anxiety, something I've kind of realized is that don't really have it with like my close friends, because I feel like I see them often enough. They know me enough to not think that like a day where I was quiet or off define my personality. Whereas it's people who I kind of know as a, an acquaintance because like, I, I work in media and if I go to events like that's a big anxiety place for me because it's people who I kind of half know maybe we follow each other on social media but we've never met but I'm not there with them but then you stop and you chat for a minute and you don't know are they done and they want to move on to someone that they're actually friends with like those situations are high social anxiety for me and I think it's because I see them so infrequently that I I feel like the fear is wrapped up in well whatever impression I leave them with is one that they decide defines me because I'm not seeing them often enough for there to be like a pattern as opposed to like a one day thing. What you're describing is so common. A few like different thoughts pop up for me as you describe it. And one is like, oh, you're actually describing exposure therapy or practice, right? Like you're so practiced being your true self with your friends that you know you're loved and liked and Mm. doesn't matter what you do. You can totally be off one day. You can do whatever. And you have so much lived experience that you're liked and accepted. So you no longer have anxiety there, but with, you know, people you don't know as well, sounds like there's more like pressure on yourself. Like, Oh, this has to be a certain way. And I have to do like, there's all of this, like, um, I might label it as like overdoing like things that you have to do to be liked. So you haven't yet learned that, you know, you'd be liked and accepted by the right people, the right fits for you, no matter what you do. What do you think are some of the most common core beliefs underneath all the social anxiety? The idea about like beliefs that drive our behavior, right? So you're describing this belief that you have only like one shot with people you don't know well, or you're meeting at a big event. So like, there's all this pressure on you. You got to do it right. So the belief is like, if you don't do this perfect, like it's going to leave a bad impression people's social concerns can play out in so many different ways. Like it might look different. Somebody might just have concerns about dating, but nowhere else, or maybe just concerns about authority figures and nowhere else. Like it really depends on the beliefs and the old learning that a person has about those situations. Do you think there's always something going on in the background, like a a formative experience that made you think that you had to be liked or that you maybe wouldn't be like, is, is it always that kind of Freudian approach? Yeah. I think that there's some combination of like, definitely we learn stuff, right? Like I think all of our beliefs are based on our interpretation of past events or past things that we learned. But I think that also interacts with our biology or like how interpersonally sensitive we are. So, um, if we think of feeling different or feeling like you don't fit in, like I think we've all, every human is going to have experiences like that at some point in the lifespan and they might vary in severity, but those kind of experiences, I think also interact with interpersonal sensitivity, like how like a person may have had just one minor incident where they didn't feel like they were quite accepted with one group of friends in like grade six And if they're really highly interpersonally sensitive, that might really stick with them. Mm -hmm. Whereas, um, you know, if somebody is less sensitive, they may have had more severe bullying experiences and not go on to struggle as much with social anxiety if they didn't internalize it as much. So I think it's some, 
some interaction between, you know, how criticized we felt in different situations or how we interpreted our sense of belonging that combines with, you know, that sensitive nature or interpersonally sensitive nature. There's been situations for me recently where I've been going into these event type situations like and for you it could be like a work thing where there's loads of different academics or something and if I go into it and I don't think about it and I and I actually just like oh I'm looking forward to going if if I get caught off guard by the social anxiety I feel so much worse than if I go into it and I expect it and I go easy on myself for the fact that look you probably are going to feel uncomfortable in this situation let's think about what you can do to help you feel like you can get through it and maybe even enjoy it even though I think a lot of like popular psychology would just be like always assume that things are going to work out and be fine and go well I find it works for me to assume that you're going to feel it and it's okay that you do no I think that makes a lot of sense and I think having that preparation time and almost like anticipating your fears and thinking about how you're going to work with the anxiety, expecting it, allowing that. I think all of that is really important, especially for these events or what we might call exposures or practices that are harder, right? Like if something catches you off guard and it's more minor, it's like, okay, nothing really I could have done. But for something that's more prolonged, that is more outside our comfort zone, I think most people feel um, like some prepar- some mental preparation and expecting and thinking about how to welcome the anxiety and be with it is super important. I really don't feel like social anxiety is something that like stops me from living my life, but I'm noticing that it has actually had more of an impact on me lately than I would have thought. Like there was an event recently where I said I would go and it was like something that I thought you would just drop into. And I like have a relationship with this pure company and I was going to drop in. And at the last minute I was ready to go. And I looked at the invitation and it was like dressed to impress. And I was like, Oh, oh my gosh, that is not what I thought I was going to. And part of me was like, you need to go and push through this. But then part of me was like, I just, I don't need to prove anything to myself right now. Like I, I can't always be putting myself in the hot seat to try and prove my anxiety wrong when sometimes it's justified. And actually being at an event like that alone, not having like a wing woman or a wing person and a little safety net, I was like, I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. So what do you think is going on in those situations where especially we're afraid to be seen? You know, the way we, we all take out the phone if we're on our own in, like in a queue or if we're sitting down waiting for someone, we, we can't even bear to sit there and look like we're by ourselves. What is that fear about? I think you're bringing up something important about when do I push myself out of my comfort zone? And again, to use like therapy terms, we call it exposure or practicing when we're purposely leaning into discomfort and purposely doing something that's outside of our comfort zone for the sake of new learning. Like if purposely go on a date, even though I'm afraid, or I purposely am going to not censor at a dinner to get that experience about what happens. So, and I think that also has to be balanced with taking care of ourselves and listening to our limits. And almost like if you're kind of like training for a marathon, right? Like there are some days where you have to run longer so that your body adapts and can do a hard thing. But there are also some days where you're not feeling great or it's like you need a rest day and it's just, you know, it's, it's time to not run and it's time to recoup. So I think what you're describing Caroline with that event is like, that was too far. Like that was, you know, in general, you're like pushing yourself and doing these things and putting yourself out there, but it's, you know, you don't have to do that every day in the same way. I think it's important sometimes not to keep pushing against your anxiety 
for it to then like blow up in your face and be like, this has been too much. I think there's a lot of pressure to always like just push through your fear, push through your fear, but you have to respect your comfort zone as well sometimes. And like going back into where you feel comfortable is where you rest and repair and heal. I I totally agree. It's balancing those two things. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A question that people have asked me, and I would like to ask you as well, is social anxiety something that you can overcome completely? Oh, I'm going to give an annoying psychologist answer and say yes and no. <laughs> I think yes, we can totally get social anxiety into a place where it doesn't stop us from doing what we want. Right. So usually when people first come to see me or, or therapists that I work with, social anxiety has wound itself so tight that it's stopping the person from living the life that they want. So they're not doing presentations. They're not going to events. They're not, you know, our worlds can become so small and that certainly can be overcome. Um, and I would say we all have our own unique personalities, right? Like taking myself, for example, I'm a super feeler. I feel emotions really intensely. I'm always going to really care about people and be sensitive to that. So I'll always feel it if somebody is disappointed in me quite a bit. Um, So I think kind of like getting rid of that is unrealistic. I'm going to have to bring that with me, but we can bring our sensitivities with us as we live the life we want. And I think sometimes that involves having to practice. Like Mm -hmm. my life is a total practice, social anxiety practice all the time, but it doesn't have to stop us. So what are some ways that people could begin to, like you say, in some of those small steps, maybe not overcome it, but feel like it's less driving their life or that they can actually go and be social and maybe enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoying it is aspirational for a while, I think, but it definitely comes once, once that anxiety goes down. Um, I think step one there is noticing where social anxiety is bossing us around basically. So like where is social anxiety saying 
don't go to that dinner or don't go to that party versus where it's a preference for the person. So, or where is like social anxiety running the show of saying yes to something that you really want to say no to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think first it's kind of noticing like, okay, like where is anxiety playing out and then slowly reversing those short-term behaviors, but in, in tiny ways. So it might be um, like, I'm going to give my opinion to my close friend, but I don't feel comfortable giving my opinion to my other friends or to my boss yet. Like I'm going to practice in a small way, or I'm going to go to that party. I'm going to stay for 30 minutes and then let myself leave and it'll work up to staying longer, but I'm just going to start by doing little pieces and giving myself little practices. What about for someone like me, where it's more the the post event processing, like how can I make that part easier? I think first step, we have to catch it like, oh, like I'm post event processing. I'm criticizing myself, like pausing and then seeing if we can refrain from it. Like, okay, that's not helpful to me beating myself up. Let me pause that. I'm not going to post event process for 30 minutes. I'm going to try to focus on something else kind of like um, preventing ourselves from doing it and seeing if we can be compassionate with ourselves and allow whatever happened. So this one, one kind of stance that I have is physically opening my hands, like open hands, like, okay, whatever happened, it's going to be okay. I can cope with it. Almost like letting open hands, dropping the rope and, and kind of letting things wash, wash over us. I actually find that I make other people feel less socially anxious by just vocalizing my own social anxiety in this situation and how I don't really know what to say and I feel like a bit of a newborn giraffe fumbling around <laughs> on feet. like what has always worked for me is to like really own it in the moment and it kind of disarms other people as well yeah sometimes I think maybe that's just like attaching yourself to it even more what do you think I guess I I'm like thinking of it less judgmentally I think it sounds like it it's a strategy that doesn't hurt you or keep you stuck. Like that's something that seems to help you connect to others and feel more at ease. And I think, yeah, it's, it's hard to know the function of, of different things in the moment, like looking at like, huh, is that helpful? Does that keep me stuck or does it move me forward? Mm. Again, I think it depends where the person is at from like a a full exposure, like no matter what, like, I'm just going to feel whatever I feel. Like I think really, hyping ourselves up to have that willingness to feel anxiety is huge. The more willing we are to feel whatever we feel, the more we tend to learn and feel free. Like we're not fighting with our experience, but that being said, of course, like again, so that's like a long-term strategy, right? Like I'm going to feel whatever I feel, bring it on, whatever happens full on letting go of the handrails, but we may be in a place where it's really new for us. So we need some handrails. So that might be things like, okay, if I feel really, really anxious. Instead of leaving, I'm going to like slow my breath down. I'm going to talk to this specific friend who I feel really safe with. I'm going to go on my phone for a few minutes and send some texts and give myself a break, or I'm going to go sit in this area of the party in this corner and just kind of regroup. So I think um, those kind of short-term strategies can also be helpful for getting us into the situation. What about for someone who cannot stop with the word vomit? Is there something that they could keep in mind that would help them just pull that back a little bit? Yeah. So their exposure practice is actually being quiet. That's how I've framed it with people. This is such a common thing. It's like, oh, like, okay. So it's that exposure of there is a pause, like, let me sit with whatever comes up for me for like two breaths when nobody's talking. Maybe with me, I 
sound like I'm word vomiting because I'm trying to deflect from me and ask the person questions to keep it off me so I don't have to speak or fill the silence so then sometimes I come away from situations and I'm like that person didn't even fucking ask me how I was or what's going on with me and I'm like maybe you didn't give them a chance (laughs) that's another example of how the things that we accidentally do to feel less um anxious in the short term like I think that's a common one right like asking people questions keeping people talking but then it makes us feel like not cared for or not seen in the long term because we don't let ourselves be seen or get care not on purpose but just because our anxiety is like functioning there. And what about a scenario where you get a feeling someone doesn't like you or you don't like them? And even though you don't particularly care, you still go in trying your best. How do you let go of that need, especially with someone where it's not important to you? Like, what can we say to ourselves? What kind of self-compassion thing can we say or factual, rational thing can we soothe ourselves with in those situations? Yeah. And I think this is so important, right? Because when we start acting genuine and true self, we really aren't going to click with everyone. And that's so important because could you imagine if we clicked with everybody, we would have like a bazillion texts to answer and a million parties to go to. And it's like, there's actually a function to just having, you know, a certain number of fits. So I think that's one of the things that's helped me let go a little bit is this idea of like, oh, if I don't click with somebody, it's a good thing to know on the front end because I can't keep up with this many people anyways, nor do I want to. And it's like, you know, just letting nature take its course or letting it happen that things aren't a fit. Because I think there's sometimes this expectation that we click with everybody 10 out of 10 or that it's our job to click with everybody 10 out of 10 when when everyone's a unique individual, that's totally impossible. So I think another useful strategy is actually noticing in our own mind how much we click with somebody. And then we can really celebrate or put our effort into the tens out of tens, the nines out of 10, because those are so rare. I want to just really quickly go through some of the questions that I asked. So something that came up again and again was like, how do I control blushing? Okay, this is bad news. The more we try to control it, the worse it gets. So there's no magic bullet there. But again, I think the real learning comes from like, okay, if I blush, and someone doesn't like me or judges me, it's okay. Okay, how to get over feeling like I'm boring, like I have nothing to say that they would be interested in. I feel like that sometimes. I feel like, with, especially with certain groups of people, when they get into these like de- real political debates and things like I don't feel very well versed in, I feel like an idiot, like I have nothing to contribute unless we're talking about like the real housewives of Beverly Hills. That's an interesting one because my first thought there is like, it might not actually be the right fits. Like people who are having these intense conversations that one doesn't have a lot of knowledge of. It's like somebody might be talking a lot about horses and everybody's riffing off that. And you're like, I don't know anything about horses and nor do I care. So you know, I think it's about finding the folks who have the same interests that like you can't stop talking about. Small talk. Any tips around small talk? That is just, oh, I find that really t- difficult as well. And we all know it's shit. We all struggle with it. <laughs> <laughs> like COVID gave us a really good small talk thing. I think so. I think like for me, it might be a crutch, but going in with a couple of small talk subjects in your head in advance of things that you're going to ask people that will just get, make you feel comfortable for me is is what I would do. Yeah. I think having a few topics that you're actually interested in and going in with those can be helpful. Here's an interesting one. I have a teenager who is crippled with social anxiety with people her age, yet she can communicate perfectly well with adults. That sounds kind of like what you and I were talking about earlier with sometimes social anxiety is really specific to certain types of situation, like the peer group or acquaintances. And often social anxiety is not a skills deficit. It's just a fear about 
being rejected. So it's, I think that is common that people have the skills to communicate, but it might be hard to access in a situation where, where you're nervous, or it might just be hard to get in that situation in order to use that social skill. Any advice for someone whose partner has social anxiety? For example, my partner doesn't want to go to weddings. We were talking about that balance of encouraging somebody to get out of their comfort zone while simultaneously respecting when something's too far. Like to understand that they're not just being antisocial or rude. It obviously is a threat response in them and it makes them feel unsafe, even though they might not understand that or they mightn't have even peeled back that far. But that's really what's going on for people who feel socially anxious. So to try and be compassionate and help work with them as opposed to against them. Love that. Okay, this is a big one. This is, I'm not expecting a quick fire one on this one. So let's talk about this one. Alcohol eliminates it entirely. How can I work on it sober so I don't use drink as a crutch? Alcohol and social anxiety. So this is so important because it is, I think one of the ultimate in short-term coping for so many people, right? Like it, it really does reduce anxiety in the moment and it really does, you know, make you feel more social or more like talking. It's a really tricky one that I work with a lot of people on. Um, And essentially the path forward is often like doing experiments. So practicing without alcohol. So you can see like what friends do I actually like to be around when I'm not drinking? How connected do I feel? And you can actually start to give yourself the credit when you do feel connected or when you are funny versus the booze getting all the credit. A question that also came up was, is it possible to get a handle on social anxiety through exposure without having to go to therapy. And I think it's probably what a therapist would ask you to do anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we can, I think if somebody has access to therapy, it can be super helpful, but I think that's part of the reason why I want to come on and share stuff like this. Cause these are strategies we can start to work through on our own and um, use, you know, self-help resources to start to help ourselves through that. This is stuff we can do. We need to get it out of the therapy room because that's not accessible to everybody. So absolutely, we can start to practice. Okay, so before we wrap up, let's just imagine a scenario where an anxious listener has an event coming up, maybe it's a wedding. How can we help guide someone or move someone through that experience? I think it's important for us to recognize like, okay, this is a hard thing. Like going to an event like that is hard for many people. And it's like not criticizing oneself for having anxiety. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) No, it is so normal. I think it's great, Carolyn, that you and I were talking about our experiences with this today because it's like, yeah, like, of course you're having some feelings and it's, again, expecting to be anxious beforehand. And we talked today about like maybe sitting down and thinking about some coping strategies. So like, okay, what are, if I'm feeling up for it, what are some practices I could lean into at the event? So for example, maybe I'll try not censoring or giving my real opinion with that group if I'm feeling bold, or maybe I'll try making small talk, you know, for 30 seconds. So those are like almost having some little challenges for yourself if you feel up to it in the moment. And then if you're feeling completely overwhelmed, having some ways to kind of calm or soothe. So if I'm feeling really overwhelmed, I'm going to tell my partner and we're going to go for a walk and kind of leave the venue for a little bit, or you know, I'm going to go to the bathroom and I'm going to sit in the stall for 10 minutes and play on my phone to calm down. So having some like little safety rafts, if it goes in the overwhelming direction. So it's almost like having little challenges if you feel like you can lean in and then having little safety rafts if you need some calming down. And all throughout that, I think being kind and compassionate towards oneself, like really talking to oneself with care and understanding. And again, this idea, we keep saying it's okay to be anxious. It's okay to feel what you're feeling. 
you know, this is going to pass. You're going to get through this almost like self cheerleading or self encouragement throughout could be really helpful too. And the post. Yeah. Again, here, I know we talked about today, if that idea of trying to put down the post analysis that like kind of accepting things, not criticizing oneself after something that really helps me as well is, is to just bring it back to challenging the belief. I bet if I asked people on Instagram, when you're in those situations, do you believe that you're the only one who feels socially anxious? They would assume that everyone else is so socially adept and feels fine and comfortable. Like we, we have such a skewed perception when it comes to our own anxiety. I think I said it in one of my books about people being worried about their own jiggly bits when they're at the beach. Everyone is far more concerned with their own <laughs> jiggly bits than to even notice yours. So everyone is thinking of how they can get through an event and feel like they've come out on top or feel like they were funny or charming or got through a conversation. You're not on your own and feeling that. But this has been so interesting, Katie. Thank you so much for your time and for all your expert input. If people want to follow you or get some more expert advice or info, where can they find you? Yeah, my Instagram handle is at Dr. So Dr. Katie Frack, all one word, K-A-T-I-E-F-R-A-C. You're sharing some resources there on your Instagram? Lots of regular resources on social anxiety and people pleasing. And actually this summer I will be launching a course online to make these kind of therapy and exposure things more accessible to people. Well, definitely come back on around then and and let's chat some more. I would love to. This has been so fun, Caroline. Thank you for everything. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top 
You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.